Almost. 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 Major. 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 Holy fucking shit, this is major! Hello and welcome to another episode of Almost Major where we talk about the many major studios and the films they released and today we are talking about The Weight of Water from 2000. My name is Kevin Tudor. I'm here with Charlie Nash. Hello. And Bryden Doyle. Hello. And we have a super special guest, a film writer, Max Coville. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Uh, yeah, like I was saying, we were talking about The Weight of Water from 2000. It wasn't released until 2002. But uh, when it was released, uh, I do believe this came out three weeks after her next movie, K-19, The Widowmaker. It and um, uh, Wait, I thought this was like a November release and K-19 was a summer movie. They talk about that in like some of the interviews that like K-19 was released alongside Spider-Man and Men in Black 2. Did not make as much money as those two movies. Uh, right. God. Yeah. But regardless, like the last half of the year, two of them and two of them pretty, pretty bombs not a, way to water is <laughs> a much bigger bomb but uh, for sure and, no, yeah. yeah and not released yeah I, I was reading i was reading that like it premiered a tiff and then they held it back two years because yeah, yeah. i didn't know what to do with it yeah and like in that time like i think she made way to water first because like when she wanted to make k19 like all the way back in 1986 but then like she wasn't able to make it because i think e571 went into production and that was like an oh. movie. <laughs> so she made way to water instead because she'd read that manuscript while she was making the manuscript of the book while she was making Strange Days. And then, mm-hmm. like, yeah, Weight of Water plays a, a, a tiff, gets shelf, and then she makes T19, I think, in that time. And then both come out in the same year. I think that's mm-hmm. what happens. Um, very confusing, but yeah. Yeah, I read that it was like National Geographic was like, hey, Bigelow, you want $100 million to make a boat movie? And she was like, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Way to Water premiered at TIFF, like we were saying, September 2000, open limited over two years later on 27 theaters on November 1st, 2002. It was a budget of $16 million, opening weekend and made 45000 domestic gross of 109000 and overall gross of 321000 That is uh, so sad. Yeah, it's pretty bad. That's that's black hat numbers right there. Uh, top five films that weekend: uh, The Santa Claus Two, The Ring, I Spy, Jackass the Movie, and Ghost Ship. Anybody remember Ghost Ship? I've, I've seen the opening of it. That's I've all you need. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and then I read the Wikipedia where all the actors were like, yeah, they filmed this like it was a drama. We didn't know we were making a horror movie until it came out, and I was like, that's weird okay. what yeah I mean, wasn't it by the person who did 13 ghosts yeah he's a big fan of making movies with ghosts in the title yeah <laughs> and and clearly 13 ghosts was a drama i haven't seen that movie uh but I you haven't seen it yeah no I you gotta watch that garbage come on man no but i did see the ring because that was like the first oh, yeah. adventure into horror i had as a child and it fucking traumatized me mm-hmm. <laughs> watched it watched it uh, at my friend's house who lived across the street and then was like, okay, uh, I think the night's over. And I was like, uh, can I crash in your room? <laughs> like, <laughs> I didn't want to walk don't across an- don't answer- the street <laughs> to sleep. In my don't room. answer the phone, right? Yeah, yeah don't do that. <laughs> I do love how the top trivia fact on Ghost Ship on IMDb is uh, in 2016, the media website coming soon named the film's opening scene one of the greatest in horror film history. That's the top. Okay. Um, I'm trying to find it, but yeah, it was like one of the actors or numerous of the actors. Um, 
Oh, one of the actors said in an interview that the movie had originally been written as a psychological thriller about how it happens when you have too much of something, money, greed, and these people just start going crazy, which is why she agreed to do it. Then she got off the plane in Australia and the script had totally changed. She said, suddenly I was in a really awful horror movie and it was shocking, but it was too late to back out. <laughs> yeah, then did they see the poster, which has like a skull on the boat, on the front of the boat, and the yeah. tagline is, see evil, S-E-A. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I had the DVD where you moved it and the skull appeared and didn't appear. Uh, we're talking about <laughs> oh everything God. besides Way to the Water right now, but that's fine. <laughs> Y'all guys seen I Spy? Anyways, uh, number one song in the U.S. this week is Dilemma by Nelly featuring Kelly Rowland. And number one song in Canada this week is A Moment Like This by Kelly Clarkson. The Way to Water follows a newspaper photographer who researches an 1873 double homicide and finds her own life paralleling that of a witness who survived the tragic ordeal. I it's do not see the parallel. Very but... white parallel. Like, like the, the book yeah. of Catherine Bigelow interviews that I was reading that was like edited by Peter Keogh, like it basically just says like, oh, well, it's like paralleled because like they both have unhappy marriages. I'm like, yeah, but the stakes aren't nearly as high. I don't think. Like, there's no like <laughs> no. background of like incest and there's no murder that comes out of it. And it's there's like, murder in this one and we paralleled with a kind of no, bad storm. There's <laughs> like, no queer longing or under or like awakening at least. Like it's just, yeah, it's yeah. very strange. I I mean, the key to the, I mean, the sort of the movie in a nutshell with like the present day storyline, at least and what's lacking in there is, uh, uh, there's a, an interview that Joanna Schneller wrote, um, for premier magazine. We're talking about like the making of weight of water and how like Josh Lucas during like the rainstorm scene, uh, it says like Josh Lucas says, Catherine told me to touch Catherine McCormick's face. She said, and keep touching your face because you need to connect with her. I was like, the boat's about to fall over. I'm trying to revive her. That's the last thing in the world I would do, which shows you <laughs> just like how like, yeah, there was no real like idea of what the background was like in these characters relationships and why they're so lacking in chemistry um yeah it's a problem but yeah yeah because because i think like you're supposed to think um like there's like the brothers going like something is like they've always been at each other's back and then like in the past the sisters are always at each other's backs and there's like some supposed to be again some kind of parallel thing going on and that's just not the case. Yeah, like, it's just, Josh Lucas seems to think Sean Penn's just kind of an asshole. And that's really it. And, like, most <laughs> Which of the time, he I'm is. Oh, he yeah, is oh, yeah. <laughs> But, like, Josh Lucas is often, like, just, I feel like his recurring line throughout the movie is him just, like, wandering, popping up into scenes being like, oh, what's happening? What's up? And then just, like, sort of being off, like, not really knowing what's going on. It's, like, yeah, not, not a lot of dramatic thrust there, uh, I must say. But, yeah. yeah. I, I, I like the fact that he was in shorts most of the time. <laughs> that's, uh, but that's is, about is, it. Is, <laughs> is he supposed to be, like, having an affair with, with the lead woman, too? Or, like, because, like, I know she's a photographer, but she takes, like, a lot of, like, pictures of him, like, specialty, like, jumping. And I'm just, like... They're, they're brothers and sisters-in-law, right? Yes. 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 Yeah. Well, but, yeah, the new I'm, girlfriend, right? She's not, like, the yes, very yeah. yeah. Didn't know that she was there, yeah. Or that they were dating or whatever, but yeah. I, I, uh, I hate to bring this up, but did anyone else think of House of the Dead during the intro where, where it introduces yes! all of them? Yes! Oh, I did! <laughs> yeah, because I was like, oh no! Like, obviously it's so much better, but yeah, when they're but doing they, that whole they thing. they also just drop that. Like, it's yeah. like her narrating and freeze-framing and telling them all about it, and then like five minutes, it's like a few minutes, and then they never do that again. <laughs> yeah. Not to get too far ahead. I know that's just a few opening minutes, but I couldn't help but be like, oh God, I can't believe I'm watching a Catherine Bigelow film and thinking about a U.A. Paul film we covered like, <laughs> over a year ago. <laughs> God damn uh, it. 
Way to Water House of the Dead. Great double feature. Uh, where am I at? Uh, sure. Directed by uh, Catherine Bigelow prior to this at Near Dark in 1987, Point Break in 1991, and Strange Days in 1995. In the same year, K-19, The Widowmaker, and after this, The Hurt Locker in 2008, and Zero Dark Thirty in 2012. Uh, adapted from the book written by Anita Shreve. Screenplay by Alice Arlen and Christopher Kyle. Starring... Uh, Catherine McCormick as Jean Jean Janes. Uh, prior to this, Braveheart, nineteen ninety five, same year, Shadow of the Vampire. Listen to our episode. Uh, after this, Spy Game, two thousand one, The Sound of Thunder, two thousand five, and twenty eight weeks later in two thousand seven. Oh, her her death scene in twenty eight weeks later is so upsetting, uh, brutal. It's yeah. so grisly. Also, Kevin, you completely forgot about Detroit too. Detroit came out. In I, didn't. 20- yeah. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> Wait, last- you didn't. Her last one I thought you said directed. Zero Dark Thirty. No, and I'm then, saying I forgot about it, but I didn't forget to forget about it. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he purposely omitted it. Yeah, yeah that's... Look, Catherine Bigelow's... I, I love her as a filmmaker. And I'm Detroit very much is... interested in her next movie. Yeah. Do you know if she has anything in, on, in the tank right now? Yeah, it's a Netflix movie adapting uh, David Kep's book called, like... Uh, I forget what it's called, but it's like a thriller. So I'm, like, excited about that. That, that could be good. Um... Also, Aurora, I think it's called. Oh, yeah. interesting. Um, it's also funny too. Um, the last thing that looked like she had, like as like a credit, was uh, like executive producing Triple Frontier, the JC Chen mm-hmm. movie. She Mark was Bull, supposed to direct that. Well, yeah, because yeah, and Mark Bull wrote it, like her collaborator with that. Funny that Mark Bull had an Apple Plus show, and Catherine Bigelow didn't direct any of the episodes of it. You'd think that would be like a gig she'd jump in on because she directed a lot of TV. It's like sort of when she was in between projects, especially in the '90s. But um, yeah, uh, it feels like a missed mm-hmm. opportunity that she didn't direct anything because I imagine that would have kicked ass. But whatever. Um, yeah. yeah, but yeah, it's uh, I think it's called Aurora. They announced it in March, I believe, that Netflix announced it. So, like, it's been officially announced. So Cool. I'll watch it. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. definitely watch it. Uh, I'll watch anything she does, regardless of quality. I'm always fascinated by what she's doing behind the camera. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sean Penn as Thomas Janes. Not Thomas Jane, but Thomas Janes. Yeah, that's confusing. This, yeah. Everybody has fake-ass names in this. Uh, prior to this, The Game in 1997, Thin Red Line in 1988, and Sweden Lowdown in 1999. After this, I Am Sam in 2001, uh, Mystic yeah. River in 2003, Tree of Life 2011, and I saw it in theaters, Gangster Squad 2013. You saw Gangster Squad in theaters? Yes, yeah. Oh hey! Yes! It was <laughs> called, it's called It's January. What else are we going to see? The trailer <laughs> yeah. said, to, said to the Jay-Z song made me super jazzed to see it um, yeah um, and then i watched it and, yeah you know. isn't that sad how like a trailer can work so well because of one song i remember the uh the nicole kidman movie the invasion which is the only version of the invasion of the body snatchers that sucks but it had like pop Lagio or untitled track eight by sigur rose and like like that made the, tr- the movie look amazing because it's one of the best songs ever and then you go and see the movie and you're like oh what well, I should have known better. Jesus Christ. Like, <laughs> I will also say it's very funny uh, reading just like old articles with Weight of Water and I guess just the clout that Penn had at the time. Uh, but like it was an article by Peter Howell where he talked about like, you know, this is about Weight of Water. It has ample opportunity for sex and thrills, particularly with Sean Penn and Elizabeth Hurley. Wants to Ew. Years again. No. And you're like, that's for sure about the pen and everything. No. <laughs> like, but, yeah. I mean, I know I was texting you all last night being like, oh, Elizabeth Hurley's weird choice to be in this movie but like when it comes down to it like everybody in this movie is sexy except sean penn <laughs> <laughs> 
Like, especially especially the scene where it's just like some random girl comes up to him, like, "I love your poetry," and he was just like, "You shouldn't," or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> just so yeah. Th- this, th- this is my brother. Yeah, and I'm doing infomercials. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sarah Polly as Marin Huntfed. Prior to this, uh, White Lies in 1998, where uh, she becomes a neo-Nazi. Why don't you check that out? I uh, put it on YouTube. Yes. I have never heard of this. Yes, I put it on YouTube. Um, Last Night from 1998. Listen to our episode on that. After this, directed Take This Waltz in 2011, Stories We Tell in 2012, and Women Talk in 2022. Uh, And Elizabeth Hurley as Adeline Gunn. Prior to this, Permanent Midnight 1998. Listen to our episode. First two, Austin Powers. And after this, uh, Serving Sarah in 2002. And for some reason, I rented this when I was like 10. I don't know why I was interested. Uh, 14 episodes of Gossip Girl and 40 episodes of The Royals. Oh, What's Elizabeth Hurt? Yeah. yeah. I completely forgot she was in Permanent Midnight, and I'm on mic talking about that movie from a time gone past. <laughs> like, I completely <laughs> forgot that she was in that. <laughs> and then we also have Josh Lucas, who's uh, who's also in American Psycho, and we're going to be talking about him again when we do Wonderland, which is also Alliance. Oh, game. yeah. Oh, yeah. That. I I've seen it. It's okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is, that done? is that done by anybody of note? Uh, James Cox, who did Highway and Straight A's with your your man Ryan Philippe. Sorry, actually, I probably should say your man because Philippe sucks. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, my cinematic man. How about that? Um, yeah, they they really tried to make Josh Lucas into like a leading man, but with the worst movies. And I kind of like that he's gone back to the indie scene because I do think he can be a really good character actor. He's, uh, he's best when he plays scumbags. Like, yes, exactly. Like the men. Or um, oh, he's so good at that. Yeah, yeah, he's or, great in that. Yeah. I just can't. Uh, if I think of him, one, he has that very specific douchey voice that he uses, especially in American Psycho, where he's like, we only hear because Bateman won't give the maitre d' head at the start. <laughs> oh, God, uh, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> uh, trivia. Uh, this movie does not exist online. I cannot find any interviews online or any retrospectives or anything whatsoever, but Bryden, thankfully, as a book of Bigelow interviews, but she barely talks about it. But what did, what did you learn? <laughs> yeah. So like, it seemed like, I mean, the thing that I, I think I would talk about either like just a few minutes ago or like before we got on mic was like how it seems like she really was drawn to like the, the 1873 storyline, which is based on like a real, a real case, like, you know, with like real names and everything. Now I think like, you know, having Polly be like the, the portrayed as the actual killer, like her, her character, I think that's like the movie's interpretation of it, like just as a theory. Uh, but yeah, no, like uh, Bigelow talks about how like her mom's uh, side of the family was like Norwegian immigrants and everything and she grew up hearing stories about them like coming to America and like how that was like something that really touched her and how her mom passed away around the time that she read the manuscript for the book uh, so like that's like the stuff that has like the most and that makes sense that like the, that has like the most narrative uh, momentum in the movie mm-hmm. it's like why would, and especially given that the movie ends with like you know title cards about the murders it's like well one I don't think you need to recap the entire movie because I just saw the entire movie you're just telling me things I already know and also uh, why was not why was the whole movie not just about this um, uh, yeah. 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 yeah Um, and it was like it's like set in New Hampshire I think but shot in Nova Scotia so that's a win for Canada I guess and then um, how it's interesting too how obviously this is like her coming off of the flop of Strange Days, which you know people look really like that movie now. But like, it, it's like, her best movie. It's yeah, a great, it, great it's movie. Fantastic, but did badly at the uh, did badly box office wise at the time and got very negative or mixed reviews. I would say, I would say some people like Ebert loved it and everything, but like it's funny. Yeah, Ebert was right about that one. I think he gave it four stars. Hell I yeah, yeah. Uh, win for Ebert. Um, but but um, <laughs> it, it's just interesting how this one Peter Howell article like says something about how like. Uh, 
you know, uh, what, what is it that he says about Strange Days? But, like, he almost frames it kind of, like, ahistorically about how, like, uh, will today's impatient audiences, perhaps the same ones who thrilled to Point Break or Strange Days, be able to handle uh, a more layered work from Bigelow? They're talking about Weight of Water being the more layered work, and I'm like thinking, like, Strange Days uh -huh. was a flop. Like, what are you talking about? Like, it's, yeah, and, um, yeah, I don't know. You feel kind of bad for, like, in a way about the movie. I, mean, I don't like Weight of Water. You know, giving away my thoughts a little bit early, but, like, it's, <laughs> but, but it is a little bit bittersweet reading some of the articles like where like it's i think there's one by jeffrey m anderson on combustible cellulite talking about like you know she had a bit of a tough time with strange days she struggled to like get some of these movies made she was going to make like a joan of arc movie but then like luke Besson yeah. made his one that like was supposed to be really oh, bad yeah. um yeah uh big uh, in the anderson article it's like oh well you know weight of water it's finally coming out she's getting that i'm uh, out from under her, and she's got widowmaker coming out that's going to be great and then it's just like you know that that's not gonna that's not how it turns yeah. and then she made a comeback and now it seems like she's in a bit of a downswing because then she won best director and best picture yes. <laughs> for her comeback yeah. well wasn't it like some of it i think like wasn't her ex-husband james cameron involved yes. with like strange days like he like wrote the script mm -hmm. and then then he wasn't in the picture so maybe financing was more difficult for her it's yeah and it's also just just hearing you say that Brian that like finally a layered picture from Catherine Bigelow as if genre work the genre work that she wasn't doing wasn't layered where it's like this is I'm not saying this isn't layered it is it's just that all of her other films are so layered in so many different ways I mean especially Strange Days and even something like you know Point Break I mean like yeah people like don't like I I, I wasn't I was barely born when that movie came out but like yeah. you know that movie is like like prescient in how it deals with masculinity and you know uh you know potential queer undertones that people read into and even something like blue steel which yeah, is like yeah. blue steel is great and it's like kind of a horror movie and yeah like you know <laughs> not not i can understand people not wanting to watch it because jamie lee curtis plays a cop but like yeah. <laughs> uh it but it is uh getting into certain politics that like are really messy and really fascinating from both a gender and from a uh, authoritarian kind of perspective. Um, one other thing I also wanted to add, and I don't know, I, I, I can't remember my source, but I believe that uh, Catherine Bigelow wanted Sarah Polly specifically for this role because she saw her in The Sweet Hereafter. Yep. The yep. Film. You were right. Uh, she That's mentioned in the Peter Howell interview. Yeah. Sweet Hereafter. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's it's great. And then like kind it's of great. like a, a similarly like sympathetic, but also kind of like inscrutable character where you're like not entirely sure what's driving her like throughout like where like there's like a lot of different motivations going on and you're just like and but it's all like conveyed like in such a reserved way that's like fascinating to watch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. No. Uh, always fantastic i'm always happy to see her in these movies that she's great yeah. i'm glad that she's doing what she wants to do which is directing but i also do miss her being in movies but as long as yeah. she's doing <laughs> what she wants to do that's cool so exactly <laughs> right we, we need a remember remember when she came back for dawn of the dead that was weird it's very that good was the first thing it. i yeah. ever saw that was my introduction to her because i was like 13 when that movie came out and i snuck it on like stars or something against Hell like yeah. when my parents weren't paying attention to me and i was just like who is this she's great and then like throughout still discovering i mean even this like she's still discovering like how many great performances she gave like yeah. throughout my entire lifetime so yeah there are times in your life when you sense that something is about to happen this is my husband thomas Hi. Hey. Hey. Not too long. Ah. And at the same time, you realize it already has. Two women were discovered in the kitchen, strangled and bludgeoned with an axe. 
Isn't blushing a wonderful word? One of the best. This must be the kitchen, right? Have they found the bodies? Using an axe requires intimacy. Think about how close you have to be to your victim. I would do anything to have you. I think the killer was in love with one of the women. The murder was the only way he could possess her. Love is never as ferocious as when you think it's going to leave you. I like that. Thomas! You know he killed a girl. Thomas killed a girl. Talent excuses cruelty. Don't you know that? I can't do this. What's going on? read too much into things. Hold me, please. He came into the house. Though they sink through the sea, they shall rise again. The weight of water. Yeah. Uh, initial thoughts. Uh, Brian, why don't you go first? Yeah. Um, so, like, this is one of those movies that, like, you know, even though I like a lot of Catherine Bigelow's other movies, I kind of like had written before we even decided to do the Lionsgate miniseries I was just kind of like I don't think I need to see this one you know like blank check the podcast they did their Catherine Bigelow miniseries and I was like I'll just listen to the episode I don't know if I need to see this movie because no one really seems to have reclaimed this movie even like there were people who liked this movie at the time including as I was joking a critic uh, whose last name was Axe Maker which I thought was very funny considering <laughs> the subject matter uh, um but, like, yeah, it, it, this one does not really have much of a reputation. Even, like, stuff like K-19, The Widowmaker, which also was was a flop and everything, that some people have come around on that one. Not so much with Weight of Water. But, you know, when I watched it, I was when, I, when we said we were doing Lionsgate, it was like, all right, I'll, I'll strap in for this, rent it from my library, we'll see what, what happens. And I do think there's at least half of a good movie in here with just the 1873 storyline. I feel like that's the one that has, like, the most narrative momentum, the, the greatest sense of tension with, like, all, like, the you know, the different conflicting relationships where it's like Sarah Polly hiding an incestuous relationship and also being jealous of like this new wife and also being trapped in a marriage that makes you very sympathetic to her, you know, because like the husband doesn't seem to treat her very well. And, you know, how like there is like this very potent critique of misogyny and everything where it's like her being trapped in these, uh, all of it, like sort of being, you know, uh, ostracized, you know, for like, what's the, what's the word now? You know, it's it's interesting how like she, she's like trying to like get herself out of these situations that feels that she feels trapped in, and then like you know all controlled by men and everything, and being blamed for it and everything. Where like it seems like you know the brother is the one who instigates the incestuous relationship when you see him like embracing her and like the bed and everything, and it's like but she's the one who gets blamed for it and he gets away scot free by like going to marry marry someone else and everything. And then when she tries to like you know do the right thing at the end, and there's like well she's just a crazy woman. What does she know or whatever? So it's like I think the movie is very cutting in that regard and like there is like a real emotional and like political core to it that is like very easy to latch on to and also like there's the greatest sense of style i mean like you know with like those like flashbacks and everything with all those like wacky like superimpositions wacky's the wrong word but like of a superimposing like the it's upside a down wacky yeah, it's a little wacky <laughs> of, of, like superimposing like the upside down image of like the house onto like the right side image of the house and then like having like almost like a it almost reminded me of Strange Days when, like, you get briefly the first-person POV of, like, her, like, charging towards her sister, the, the, the killer charging towards her sister and, like, you know, grabbing her by the hair. It, it does give you that sort of, like, uncomfortable subjectivity that is really bracing, I think, uh, in, in those moments. 
so like there's like a there's good stuff in that in that part of the movie and like I don't know why and uh, knowing reading Bigelow talk about how she had that personal connection to the Norwegian immigrant story it's like why didn't you just make that movie I mean I guess maybe because you're adapt adapting the book which I don't know if maybe the book conveys like the two different timelines better but like I just every time the movie cuts back to the present day storyline it just grinds the movie to a fucking halt like there's no real chemistry between any of the actors in terms of like you know the couple and i get like it's unhappy marriage unhappy couples or whatever although josh lucas and liz hurley seem totally fine with each other like they seem to be having <laughs> yeah like there's not really much conflict there they seem to be having sex and enjoying each other's company so it's fine uh but like there's just like a, a lot of it is conveyed through like long meaningful glances and everything meaningful i should probably put in like air quotes but um and it's just it, it just becomes kind of laughable after a certain point and like the way that bigelow tries to like crank up the tension i guess like bully for her that she tries it but like it's like really goofy when like you know all of Catherine mccormick's research papers like get like blown about by a windstorm and like there's like multiple frenetic cuts is like people are like leaping and dodging them uh, the, you know like, trying to catch like the, the papers and everything and it's just it, it feels like really silly and you know it's interesting that I thought about this while watching the movie when they were playing the sticks game. That's like, I thought like that's a similar, there's a similar scene in Roman Polanski's knife in the water, which is also set in a boat and deals with like sort of troubled couples uh, and interlopers uh. and stuff. And you know, that's like referenced in the, the Bigelow book that Keo uh, edited and look, say what you, I mean, obviously understand if you don't want to watch Wade, uh, Knife in the Water, but... Um, I understand why you don't want to watch Weight of the Water either. <laughs> yeah, there are reasons for both. But, like, Knife in the Water, there's, like, there is, like, a, that's a movie where, like, there is a sense of history and, like, the couple's attention and everything and, like, like this, the sound design and all that stuff and the interactions, there is, like, a genuine sense of, like, unease in how all those interactions, whether they're flirtatious or, like, you know, people, like, sort of trying to one-up each other, you do get a sense of, like, there being the possibility of like something really major happening whereas in this like i just there's it doesn't feel like it's building towards anything and then like you know the windstorm when the movie's like cutting between the windstorm and like the axe murders in the different timelines other than like rhythmically matching and everything where like a, a person being thrown about by a wave will like cut into like a person being knocked over by a chair or whatever you know it's like okay that's like slick on a on like a, a rhythmic level but like i don't really think the, the the thematic parallels are tenuous at best at best and pacing wise it just like it takes me out of the movie where like it will like i i want to know what happens in like the the axe murder story or anything but i don't care at all about like what's happening with with the present day storyline and like look the actors try i guess like but like they, i just don't i don't really feel like there's any any character to speak of with like Catherine mccormick sean penn josh lucas or liz hurley to be honest and i don't know it, it just really it it's a real anchor on the movie in like the worst way let's, uh, let's see how many water or boat themed puns i can i can yeah. work into <laughs> uh -huh. but, would you like but, to yeah. say they are afloat yeah <laughs> after, but they're lost yeah, at sea should... uh yeah. Drift. Yeah. yeah that's a better one yeah, yeah. <laughs> this um, movie never sets its sails on the right direction yeah yeah there you go so that's my that, that's my initial thoughts uh I, i'd like to hear others because there might be some dissenting opinions here uh yeah, this is a pretty big bore for me. Uh, pretty much going to copy a lot that Brighton said. The two storylines never really work together. The boat modern day storyline feels pointless, and every time you go back and forth of it, it feels more pointless. Meanwhile, the other storyline, Sarah Polly felt like it had a little bit of something, mainly mainly because uh, Sarah Polly couldn't mail in a performance if she tried. Uh, she's great. Uh, they also, for me, never make sense why they were taking up space in the movie. The boat 
storyline especially like why it was going back and forth um i tried to find a ways that they were parallel or ways of saying they're like you know nothing has changed in 150 years or whatever but that never really was shown to me uh i feel hearing bigelow talk about how the book spoke to her and her family and whatnot it's just like maybe you should have took that part of the book and then just researched more on the real life stuff and then just made a <laughs> a, a docudrama about that um but yeah, uh, and the more that it went back to the boat uh, storyline and then went back to Sarah Polly, the less I cared about the Sarah Polly stuff because I was just already being <laughs> mm-hmm. dumped on by the boat storyline. But uh, yeah, it truly bored me throughout. Even though I felt Polly's storyline was the strongest of the two, it keeps going back and forth and then I just stopped caring. So, And then the end of it is just a real... I, I don't I don't know it's just like uh this has been pretty boring uh, what if there's a storm and then the, like um <laughs> then Catherine McCormick is like kind of doesn't help Elizabeth Hurley and that's kind of it it's like okay there's not not much is being reached here folks um but yeah yeah and like Hurley her character says like I wanted to I came to this trip because I wanted to meet you and I'm thinking like is she like some kind of like deranged fan or whatever is that where the movie's going but then like i don't know like it, i don't know what her character's deal is and then like there's all these no. other like toss off things about like how their 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 child is sick sean penn killed someone in a car accident when he was a teenager it's just like all these fucking details to yeah. just like feel superfluous when they shouldn't be it's the elizabeth hurley character in particular feels like a femme fatale like setup that just never pays off yeah well well you you, you mentioned the murder and like they look at like Elizabeth Hurley's character and she's wearing like the same cross necklace or something like maybe she's supposed to be like the haunted ghost of that past girl. And that's why Sean Penn's fate ultimately befalls him like a payback. (laughs) Yeah, I guess (laughs) it's a lot of guessing because yeah. Um, yeah. About, about 45 minutes into it, I was like, this whole movie is just like, I was just like, jump in, just have sex with her. Get this over with. I'm tired of watching y'all too. Um, uh, but yeah, Max, uh, as our guest, uh, your initial thoughts on the weight of water. Yeah. So, um, I also felt that the past material was, was the strongest and, um, I, I feel like maybe outside of even the book, maybe she was pigeonholed to like uh, Bigelow, that is to like do a current day stuff to have like the big name Sean Penn attached to the movie in order to get made like more of the financial uh, worries of, of trying to get a period piece like this made. Uh, but as far as like the early stuff with Sarah Pauly's character. Yeah. I, I thought that was really strong. I mean, like you see her, um, like live a uh, kind of disappointing life, right? She, she just lives to take care of her house. And uh, there's a moment later where she mentions that she's happy with her, her dog and then her husband second. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> I'm it, sorry, it, but could, look at that dog. I'm sorry. That is like, <laughs> that was one of the cutest puppies I've ever seen. Yeah. Like Jesus ridiculous. Christ. I was like, I didn't even know they had cute puppies in the 1800s. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and uh, Brian had mentioned like something like maybe, she felt ostracized or at least like maybe other people looked upon her differently. And I imagine in that time period that not being able to get pregnant might've definitely had that kind of effect on her and her household. Um, Of course, knowing what period that is, we don't know whether or not she was barren herself or just her husband was unable. Uh, But uh, certainly that was a conflict later when, 
uh, she, she's talking to her long lost loved brother who, who comes to visit her after so long and uh, how disappointed they are um, that she is not with child. Um, I, I found like some of the other stuff, like some, some of it gets repeated too often, right? Like if, if we're talking about like the scene and the setup of showing like how the murder was, was shown, we get that like repeated at least four or five times. Yes. And like, if I had to see that damn clock fall on the floor one more time, <laughs> I was gonna like, Drop we're, frozen that, that was, was we're frozen in yeah. time. We're frozen. Yeah, oh, I get it. It is funny because like it'll be like it'll cut to a kettle boiling, and then like it's not even like the clock has knocked over. It just like flies off the mantle or anything. Like, yeah, it's just being like a ghost. Like a ghost is like flinging it off. It's the clock cool. killed itself. It couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Sick of telling time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then like you're you're supposed to get this idea that like she just like flips a switch because like her sister is like uh so so mean to her but well i'm sure we'll get to more of that later um but as far as like the present day storyline the less that i have to talk about the better uh there's just a lot of nonsense and like you the the main thing you're looking at is uh sean penn oogling uh elizabeth elizabeth early my bad I mean, yeah, I mean that's fine like, too, but that's not this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I have cops like, and monsters. Turns out there's brain. a third timeline in, in the movie with Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm just imagining yeah, Elizabeth Taylor, but like drunk, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, like mode, <laughs> <laughs> where she's just like wreaking havoc, and like people are like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> like, like Elizabeth Hurley's character, like seems like she solely exists to like break this marriage, right? But it's not necessarily a happy marriage to begin with. And, like, there's this, like, really supposedly steamy sex scene that's going to happen in, like, the archives while looking at, like, dead girl, like, files. And, like, she's like, no, I just can't. And it's like, well, maybe it's not your marriage, but maybe also because you're looking at how people were violently murdered. (laughs) And you're in a library or in a public space. There could be a lot of reasons why, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, like... There might be something to like, especially because like you get that first person shot at the murder, and like, you know, I mean, I mean, thinking of like Strange Days and everything, like I, there could be a movie where it's like McCormick, like her unraveling is like becoming like so. I mean, she's, I guess that like they kind of like just wrap it, like kick it into overdrive without really doing the work to like sort of develop the character and everything. But I guess it seems like her over identifying with the Sarah Polly character and reading about it with all the news clippings. I guess like that could be something and like her having that intense over identification and empathy like that that could be interesting but the movie just kind of like it, it just sort of doesn't i mean one one of the reviews I, or interviews i was saying was like oh the movie's like a lot of inference and everything it's like well yeah like that's not like you don't need to explain everything in any but like it doesn't even seem like the movie's really doing the work it'll just like jump back no. to the storyline and then like it'll just be like now this is happening and it's mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like how did we get here yeah. mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but no, 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 I guess, I guess, yeah, the, we, we, everybody winds up at the, at the storm where it's just like, she was, uh, Cormac's character was like on, on the beach, like taking final photos and like, she said, she says to herself, I have to get back to the boat, not like take shelter. And like, and like everybody's in this like massive, like hurricane storm that they just like, oh, I thought we had more time. <laughs> yeah. And then like, uh, I think like Hurley's just like, because Josh Lucas goes and finds her or whatnot. And Hurley's just like, what were y'all doing? And it's just like, 
there could have been something there, I guess, but we're just going to drop this, I guess. Um. <laughs> yeah. Right. But back to that, like, maybe that strange romance that they had. Right. You know, like, right. They're yeah. cheating, but who knows? But again, like Lucas, the way he plays where he's like, I don't know if I'd really be connected to her. I think I just want to, like, make sure she doesn't fall off the boat or whatever. It's like, yeah, the performances are not conveying any of, like, the the simmering, you know, set, the attraction that is uh, occurring between these characters, possibly. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, Charlie, initial thoughts. So, I agree with basically everybody, everything everybody's saying. I think I enjoyed it just a little bit more than everybody because I was so entranced by just how weird everything <laughs> like this movie is just it's a fascinating object in a, in a director's filmography and uh, uh, by in in that I I love Catherine Bigelow I think she's an incredible craftsman um I mean whether or not you find her films politically uh egregious is one thing but I god damn does she know how to make a, a fucking movie and this is the one time that that I I was watching this feeling like she feels even a little confused, not with as what we were saying with the past stuff with Sarah Polly and the real life murder that all feels very focused with, but I will say I wasn't, even though this movie does suffer in terms of like its languid pacing and stuff like that. Every time it did cut back to the real, the present day couple, I have to say it doesn't make sense, especially by the time you get to the end. Cause I was like, what's this building towards? And then it just kind of a shrug the movies over. I did. I was consistently just like what is this like like it, there's all these breadcrumbs here and yeah they don't add up to anything but um but it, it's also just it was just fascinating to me to see her do a period piece which we have never seen before and you know everything that Bryden mentioned about her mother being a Norwegian immigrant it's clear that that comes from a very personal place and I I, I could sense that watching it um I think Sarah Polly is the clear MVP of the cast and she is so so good in it um, I was just so, like, I, 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 I can't defend any of this for being all that good, but I, I, I just think it's, it's an interesting misfire as opposed to just seeing something as, and maybe this is just me grading on a scale, but as opposed to just, like, a middling movie made by nobody, like, when it comes to analyzing someone's filmography and where they got today, and the fact that she went from this to The Hurt Locker is fascinating to me, um... But I, I agree. I mean, the, the present day stuff, it, it, it doesn't make any sense. We don't know who these characters are. They're barely sketched out. And I agree. Why didn't you just adapt that part of the book? Maybe it was a fear of, you know, people who read the book, even though I don't know anyone who's read the book, being like, this is insane. Like, <laughs> like why didn't best, you include this? And I, you're missing the whole a, point. A best-selling book in, like, some of the interviews. I'm like, if you say so, like, maybe it, yeah, it was. So, yeah. Like, I don't want to be too glib. I, I mean, people don't know what I'm talking about when this with this movie, which I feel like is, like, even, like, bigger than the book just simply because it has Catherine Bigelow's name slapped on it. But what do I know? I wasn't around back then when the book was big. Uh, it's just too strange for me to completely dismiss. Like, I... I I don't think this is a good movie, but I will never stop anyone from watching it, especially if you're interested in learning uh, how, you know, the the trajectory of Catherine Bigelow's career, because it is just too, it, it, it's ambitious. Like, I maybe I'm giving it a little too much credit, but like, it is like, I can't think of other movies that look or feel like this. It feels like it's directed by Catherine Bigelow for better and worse, because I, again, I, I, I don't think that it has the same, you know, she's a kinetic filmmaker. She's propulsive. She is best, I think, when it deals with people who are really, really good at their jobs, but are also 
not exactly accepted by society uh, in in ways that revolve around gender and uh, certain uh, problematic aspects of said occupation. I, I I just found it too beguilingly, bafflingly fascinating for me to just completely dismiss, even though I agree with everything that all of you were saying. <laughs> so it's it's not like it's like. It's like me saying, like, you should definitely check this out if it's a curiosity to you. But if not, like, then if you're not interested in Catherine Bigelow as a filmmaker, then probably skip this one. So. Yeah, the stuff with, like, the gender in, like, the 1873 storyline is, like, really thorny in a way that, like, the rest of the movie isn't. That I think is really interesting. Like, how it seems like the brother, as the movie portrays it. Well, it's interesting how, like, the flashbacks, like, showing, like... The Paulie's character, like in as a younger person, like cuddling with her brother when she when he's sick and everything. First, it so it makes it look like she's the one instigating it, but then like when you see the flashback from like the sister discovering it, yeah, it's like she, the brother's the one holding her. So it's like it's it's interesting how it's like Paulie being trapped, being put into this relationship that instigated by like a shady guy that she's supposed to be trusting, that she should be trusting, you know, her brother and everything, and then her sister also perpetuates this sort of, like, this sort of misogynistic cycle by having, by going to their father and then putting her in a, in a shitty arranged marriage, but yeah. she's also going to be, like, you know, subservient to someone else who doesn't, who's not really all that caring for her, and it, and then, you know, why she, like, and then, like, finding, the, you know, love with, like, this relationship with Vanessa Shaw and everything, which I'll admit, while I like those scenes, they, they the movie does kind of, like, hop skip and jump like uh, pretty quickly <laughs> yeah. where it's like mm-hmm. yeah, they don't even like each other and then it's like oh back massage yeah, yeah. I, I guess that's the, thi- that's the <laughs> thing about this movie is that they hide information from you and all movies are manipulative in any way but like if the story was told straight like it would be more interesting like the fact that they hide certain things and then reveal certain things is interesting to me because i was like well what's it gonna like they're clearly gonna do that with the present day stuff what are they hiding and it's like i mean nothing really like that good like like the the it's weird how the framing the the cinematic language like manipulates you in terms of the information you know with the past but doesn't necessarily do that with the present where characters are flat out learning things as they continue to talk to one another it's just that those characters are talking points and not real people or don't feel like people it also felt like the sarah polly stuff to me did anyone else feel like this was like a version of ty west pearl but played straight like like it really made me think of that and i i like pearl i mean but it's it but it was like maybe if this thing was trashier like especially in the present day stuff because it makes it seem like it's gonna be like much steamier and almost sleazier Boy, howdy, than it is. Yeah. And it's not, because it is very <laughs> jarring to go from, like, Sarah Polly in a loveless marriage just, like, having the, the saddest, possibly non-consensual sex of her life to, like, Elizabeth Hurley rubbing ice cubes on herself, where I'm just kind of like, is this, <laughs> like, like, what is this saying about sex in general and all that stuff? And the thing is, like, it does feel... Like maybe maybe Bigelow knew exactly what she was doing and it just didn't come across in the filmmaking, but it does feel like very confused. I don't know, and I, I and it's a bummer because I love Catherine Bigelow movies so much, and I wanted to go in rooting for this. Th- I, I went in rooting for this thing. I do think there's a lot of interesting stuff there. It just doesn't really add up. By the end of the movie, it's like I don't know. You do the work, and I'm like I'm fine to do the work. I just don't think that you also did a lot of work in flushing these people out and making them enigmatic in a way that is emotionally compelling. It's it's weird how the Sarah Polly stuff doesn't feel cold, but the present day stuff does. And then when it comes to equating certain things, I don't want it to be obvious, but at the same time it is like, but then you have to do all sorts of 
like mental leaps and whatever to the point that it's just like yeah this is just too much i don't i don't feel like doing that all that like which i don't know i already did the work i sat through two hours of this shit yeah and again, like, it's wild that the movie ends with like the title card talking about like this was a ha- this is what happened in 1873 and stuff like that and you know now like there's still there's still debate about who the real killer is i'm like yeah man i sat through the whole movie like you kind of like you didn't need to like yeah. recap it for me oh like you could have just like oh that's what happened yeah. oh oh yeah <laughs> it's like i saw the axe murdering nine times i know what happened yeah and it's interesting too because they do like at one point i was like well sarah Polly clearly killed them and then like 20 minutes into the movie um you know, Jean wakes up and is like, she totally killed them. And I'm like, oh, wow, we got to that quicker than I thought. Maybe there's something that's going to play <laughs> into that and how she's really smart and, like, how it's going to connect to her own life. No, not really. Like, uh, uh, okay. Like, I mean, the movie's revealing all these breadcrumbs very early on, and then it did kind of feel mm-hmm. like they were like, oh, maybe we should cut to this earlier. But, like, um, I, I have no idea why anyone wants to spend time with Sean Penn in this movie. And I, like, like what what is his appeal? He's such an... Like, and and for the record, like, I think Sean Penn fucking sucks. He's gross. Uh, But, like, at mm-hmm. least he's not ham. I was worried we were going to get a lot of hammy Sean Penn. Thank God it's not that. But at the same time, it was like, okay, there's three. We just get most- muttering Sean Penn. <laughs> there's three of the most beautiful people from 2000 on screen right now. And then he's just there. Like, like what is he? Like, <laughs> yeah. like, would it have better been better for him to be hammy or for the others to be hammy? Yes. I mean, maybe it would have been bad. I, but like, I, at least there would have been some fucking energy. I mean, it's just but like. There, but, but it does feel like a very subdued film for Catherine Bigelow, especially after something like Strange Days, which is maximalist in the best possible way. But then, uh-huh. I mean, I don't know. Do you really want Casualties of War Sean Penn in this thing? Because I don't. Like, I mean. I mean, no, that would I mean, be wrong for the it. tone of Let's the movie. That would be wrong for the tone of the movie. But yeah, like, yeah. It, it, But it's just like, and I don't mind like a low boil, like sort of tension or anything, but like this doesn't even, like it doesn't get to the boil. It just like, it's it, like the, the stove isn't even on. It's just like, it's, yeah. I don't, how, how, how much more can I get with this? <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah, no, I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't work. And like, yeah, like with the parallel, like it's an, they're stories of unhappy marriages, like in both timelines. Great. But, like, you don't ever get the sense that McCormick wants to, like, secretly kill Penn or, like, even, like, get to that level where she wants to hit him. Like, she, she at best, she seems mildly annoyed by, like, some of his comments. Like, when she says something like, oh, you said this when we met. And he's like, oh, I don't remember saying it. I think I was just That's way to too pretentious. Pants. I would never yeah. say that. I was just wanting to get in your pants, I think he says. Which, I like how she's just kind of like... Oh, whatever. Ah. Whereas opposed to, like, actually being, like, that's really fucking gross. Like, fuck you. Because I'm pretty sure even even these people, like, played by Josh Lucas and Elizabeth Hurley would be like, dude, that's, like, really fucked up. Like, <laughs> There's a scene earlier where she seems like she's really angry that he's, re- he's like, telling the story about, like, how their daughter was sick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Popping vegetables. <laughs> Incubating. <laughs> yeah. and and she's like, don't tell this story. Yeah, yeah. and it's like, but, uh, like, I, I, why is she upset about that? Like, I don't know. I have pe- I have family members who were really sick as infants. It's like, why, why is that? I, yeah, and the whole thing about him killing someone, it doesn't make any sense, which, and then the character's actions in the storm don't even make any sense. Like, Elizabeth Hurley goes on board 
to or uh you know to puke and i'm like but you've been spending like days on this boat don't you have like a bathroom down there or something where you already were <laughs> yeah i didn't like, understand that I, I was just like i none of this none of the characters in the present day make any sense where all the characters in the past make absolute sense even kieran hines who's a fucking pig it is like no i totally believe that people would be that disgusting as because people are that disgusting now but like the the psychology of these characters is just so muddled and then it's ultimately a connect the dots thing where it's like i don't know <laughs> like it's like a crossword puzzle like where they just forgot a few words and they were just like ah good enough like <laughs> you, you <laughs> <Yeah>. know like <laughs> and like again like there's like it's it's murky in the way of like how much you identify with the poly character and because like yeah you do feel for her being trapped in this relationship and like you're just like sort of zooming in on her face when she's like in the middle of these like very unpleasant encounters with her husband and everything but then like she's not entirely sympathetic a lot of the time like when she sends vanessa shaw to read to to heinz and everything when she knows that's so well that oh, yeah, she, it, she yeah. knows that yeah she's he, like, she knows exactly what's gonna happen yeah yeah it, it's in like how that like then she still develops feelings for shaw that do seem genuine and everything and polly plays it so well and everything where she does like you would see like the sort of tension flooding her face as she's overcome with these feelings that are very un unusual to her or un, 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 unfamiliar to her that's a better word yep. for it um yeah but uh yeah, no, like that. Like that's really complex. And then, like, you just don't get any of that in like any of the perform. None of the performances or the characters are layered in like the present day timeline. I know yeah. I keep back. I, I'm basically just repeating myself, uh, kind of like the movie, I guess. But, the movie's but, repetitive, though. I mean, that's yeah. kind of the thing. Yeah. Is like it lays all these breadcrumbs and then keeps repeating itself. But like, yeah, like it's it, you, there's. I, I was more compelled being like, and and where is this going to build up to? Okay, there's a storm. Okay, this and that, and then it was just like, oh, the movie's over and one storyline it, it, it is kind of one of those like well if poly pl subplots uh complete what about the other one is it good enough mm, i guess yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> to be fair I, I mean just to give it like i was reading about one of the articles by the, the schneller premiere article where like they talk about like making it with like wind machines and people like spraying hose it like there's it's actually pretty interesting how they talk about it i'm like look it's a pretty convincing looking storm like it looks yeah. like they're actually they are actually in danger of drowning but, like, just because, like, of, like, but, like, it's not exciting to watch because you're just, like, one is taken away from the tension of the other story, like, by, like, you know, taking up screen time. And also, it's just, like, I don't know, I, I like, I don't know what the stakes are, like, emotionally with this, other than, like, I guess no. they could die. But, like, if you don't really know these characters, uh, it doesn't really register emotionally or tension-wise. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. The boat stuff felt... Um... As if I was watching a movie where somebody is writing the story as we go along, kind of. It's like, there's Sean Penn. He's a poet. And there's his wife. And, uh, there's a boat. Yeah, uh, I got that. Um, and also, yeah. Plot twist, the movie uh, was written by Sean Penn's character in this movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like the end of Stand By Me, yeah. I mean, they um, talk about how he has writer's block. Maybe this is, like, one of <laughs> It would be funny if it was, like, him. It's like, and, uh... Then also, uh, we uh, drank some wine and played a sticks game. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We talked about Bedazzled for no reason. Um, I changed my background to one of the posters that's not very well known, but it makes it look like a horror movie. So they really didn't know how to market this movie. Because <laughs> one, they have the like GTA bo boxes of people on a poster, and then they have this one. And it's just like the movie is not thrilling dude like when it gets to the axe murdering sure but it's also so quick and repetitive that it just feels like a reenactment of like a on a, like an a and e biography about something so but yeah 
Yeah, I didn't watch the trailer that they had on the DVD. Did you? Like, I don't know. What, I mean, I guess we'll put the trailer audio in. Right, I'll watch release, it. I'll watch like, it for that. But I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I don't know how you would market this movie to make it look good. Like, other than just maybe show just the poly section. <laughs> Basically. Uh, I, I mean, like, you have to sell it by your star power, right? Back to that. Pretty it's much. Like... It is like Sean Penn's in this movie. Go watch it. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. It's funny that like, you know, this this being like a Catherine Bigelow movie with like Sean Penn and some of these other people, it feels like this would be a more notable movie because at the time, you know, Penn was like an Oscar winner and, you know, he was directing movies. He was respected in that front too. But the, the way this movie's remembered, it's, li- it's like the status of one of Sean Penn's more recent movies like Flag Day or yeah. Professor and the Madman where it's like Ooh. no one fucking talks about those movies unless to dunk on them. And it's like, right. yeah. Remember when Sean Penn showed up at the Globes this year? That was weird. I didn't watch the Globes, so I did not remember. <laughs> he was like talking about just uh, doing charity and shit, and he started crying, and then it went to uh, the Ukraine president. It was very weird. Huh. Um, final thoughts on the weight of the water. I understand why this is like a footnote, ultimately, in Nabigola's career, you know, given like when people discuss her career at large now. Uh, I don't think it's an entirely successful movie, but there are interesting pieces in it, and... Ultimately, I am very glad that she was given another chance to direct more movies and, like, you know, have a successful career again in, in Hollywood. And I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm happy to see what she does next uh, with that uh, David Kep script. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm not not exactly because of Kep, but just nice to see her direct something again. Um, hey, respect Stir of Echoes. Yes. We respect Kep in this house. And Premium Rush, <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. I need to watch that. It's Did fun. you see it in theaters? Yeah, of course. Uh <laughs> <laughs> uh max do you have any more final thoughts on the weight of water yeah i think like it was funny when i when i went to go log this on letterbox i was like oh yeah two, I, I i guess i'll give it two and a half stars and like then i was like looking i was like i guess i was generous i so maybe i didn't dislike it as much as i thought i did like and then i think it goes back to like i kind of liked the half a movie that last hour uh, is pretty exists. phenomenal and if you could take away if you could like even like take that away like edit the movie to just have that like maybe it'd be like a tighter like one hour short or something like that which uh i'll, I'll uh sh- shorts are interesting yeah. um anyways uh i i think that everything else is kind of like a bore and it weighs it down we i think we talked about it before it we went live as how like this is a very long two-hour movie and like you feel like every moment of it and uh that that's the, probably the most unfortunate thing that i could say about it and uh i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily say to people you, you need to search this out i think like we i on our my podcast it's the pictures we we did a Catherine biglow uh like retrospective or something where we picked a few movies to talk about and um you didn't watch this no we did (laughs) not (laughs) no i I think i think it was like point break and you know uh zero dark 30 hurt locker even like uh near dark you know um those those kind of movies uh came ahead of this one or or k19 so uh i i can see where this one has its uh, poor reputation I still think Zero Dark Thirty is like such. I like whether or not you you, you agree with the politics of that thing or not. Just the the, the 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 craftsmanship on display of that thing is just unbelievable to me. <laughs> like, yeah, I that movie 
blew me the fuck away seeing it in theaters. And then going back, that's actually the one that got me to go back and see all of her other movies, because I think I'd only seen The Hurt Locker in that. And then, yeah, Strange Days, Masterpiece, So Prescient, Point Break. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. It was, from the opening credits alone of this thing, it was like, oh, is this her version of the piano or something? And it like, well, half of it is. (laughs) 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 Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Almost Major. Please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please follow the pod on Twitter at Almost Major to keep up to date with what movies we will be covering in the future. Myself, I can be found on Twitter and Letterbox at Kev Bonesy. Bryden can be found on Twitter at Bryden Doyle and on Letterbox at J Doyle. Charlie can be found on Twitter and Letterbox at CT Nash91. Once again, thank you for listening.